Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to learn more about you through the garden. Lord, we ask that you'd be here as we um, learn more about how to start our own home gardens. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this talk is geared for those who are starting their first garden. Or if you have started a little garden, if you had some pots of plants or whatever, it's, this is also geared for you. If you've had some experience, this might be covering a lot of things you already know. Um, but this is also geared for those who are in the country or if they do have a little plot of land and they're kind of more urban. Um, it, it's not really geared for if you're maybe living in an apartment and you only have something on the porch, because I am talking about kind of digging in the ground and stuff. So if you don't have any like land, I don't know if that'll really apply, but let's get into it here. So why, why do we, why should we, or why are we going to garden? To forge a closer relationship with God is one point I'd like to go over. There's a quote here that I'd like to read. To the dwellers in Eden was committed the care of the garden to dress it and to keep it. And their occupation was not wearisome, but pleasant and invigorating. God appointed labor as a blessing to man to occupy his mind, to strengthen his body, and to develop his faculties. In mental and physical activity, Adam found one of the highest pleasures of his holy existence. So this is... This is uh, the physical activity means we're probably not just sitting on a chair. And I, I'm saying that because I sit on a chair. At one of my jobs is I'm, I'm at, a, at a desk all day. And so I, I like getting out gardening. The quote continues. And when as a result of his disobedience, he was driven from his beautiful home and forced to struggle with a stubborn soil to gain his daily bread, that very labor, although widely different from his pleasant occupation in the garden, was a safeguard against what? Against temptation and a source of happiness. So this is a reason we should be gardening. Even though it's going to be hard, it's not going to be easy, that very labor is a safeguard against temptation and a source of happiness. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 50, paragraph (laughs) 1. Another reason is to grow your own nutrient-dense food. It's nice to be able to grow your own food at home and to be able to go out into the garden and pick it when you're getting ready to have a meal instead of having to run to town. And then even if you do run to town, you're probably not going to get it as nutrient-dense as if you grew it yourself. So before I get into a little bit about what we're doing, I want to give you a background about my first home garden and the size of it. We had a little cold frame. Um, we, we went to, I think, Lowe's or Home Depot and bought um, the PVC pipe. And we bought, we were out in California. This was a, a redwood box we made. The clay underneath of it really couldn't be used, so we brought some, some soil in and filled that in. And this is just a drop cloth for painting that we just put over that as a way to, to keep things in there. We didn't really have any training in, in how to grow, grow things. We, I think we watched a YouTube video on how to build this thing. So we, he, he had like a little list of like parts to get. So we we're like, let's do it, you know. So it was only a four by eight garden box and we were renting at the time. We only had just a little side garden to plant in there. Um, and it was mostly in the shade, if you'll notice. 
this was what it looked like almost the whole day. We had a lot of trees there, so <laughs> I didn't even think about it, but it wasn't the pl best place to grow. Um, in there, we planted some lettuce. We bought a six-pack of broccoli from Whole Foods and planted those, so the, the broccoli was already about this big, transplants. We started the lettuce inside, and here's harvesting some lettuce. This was a, a butter crunch lettuce, so we just harvested uh, leaves about every day when we needed salad, so we just harvested from each row, put some wood chips in between there, and that was our entire broccoli harvest. <laughs> it wasn't very big, but it was pretty neat to have your own broccoli. Um, it, growing your own food there. Also, out on our patio, we had some five-gallon buckets, and we had tomatillos, tomatoes, and cucumbers. Um, my wife worked at the cafeteria at Weimar, and so they had a lot of extra food grade. Not, not that it had to be food grade, but there were food grade buckets that they were just getting rid of, so we, we got them from the cafeteria and, and, and put some plants in them. Um, Okay, so yeah, what I'm talking about can be applied more than just to this setting too. Um, also, before we get going here, um, kind of like seed saving, um, question saving, we'll save our questions to the end, and I will have a time where we can all answer some questions. I'll answer some questions as, as best I can. And just so if you have a question as I'm going through, write it down, and then we'll try to field them at the end. Uh, we have a mic here if we wanted to do that. It's, it's not going to be good for audioverse though. So I will try to repeat them at the end, though. They might keep them in there. Okay, so before I get started, I want to say that it, it's probably going to be hard to cover everything in an hour, that even if I was doing a one-to-one -one on what you need to get started. It's, there's just a lot of different things, so we'll cover a lot of different topics here. And, um, but if you have questions, please let me know at the end then. Um, so the points I'll be covering will be in reference to growing in the summer and not in the winter. To start off, I'd like to say get your soil tested. And I don't want to be scaring anybody off, and so there is an alternative. But getting your soil tested, plants do best in a balanced soil. Um, I will show you a picture here of our garden where, we, where we, we, we did test our soil but we didn't amend it right away because we just wanted to plant and you'll see how they were growing where it wasn't um, a good balanced soil. Um, there is a place where we get our soil tested, Waypoint Analytical. I'm not going to go in depth here on how to get your soil tested. There are people who are more qualified than myself who could tell you how to do that. Um, if you've heard of Bob Gregory, he is here presenting. He has a DVD series that goes in-depth on how to test your soil. We've watched that, and that's how we have worked on balancing our soils. Um, but it's important to do to know how to give your plants the best nutrients. Um, you can go to waypointanalytical.com. Well, Cavell, that sounds complicated. And there is, there is an alternative. Um, this right here was recommended to me by Paul Dysinger. He uses a um, vegan mix down to earth brand. It's a 3-2-2 balance, and so it's a fairly light and well-balanced fertilizer. If you want to use a vegan mix, um, you don't have to use this one, but this is something that you can, if, you, if you're not going to test your soil, which is fine, you don't have to. I would encourage you that if you're going to start a home garden, you need to start somewhere. It, putting the seed in the soil will, will, will get you somewhere. 
Um, but if you are going to just start, I would say get a little fertilizer like this, and you can use that, and that will be balanced of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Just a light mix of it. It's not too heavy, but it'll at least give your plants some nutrients in which they can grow in. Um, there's heavier mixes. There's 777. There's 14 and other mixes too, but this one is a nice light mix, but it's also balanced. But I will say that I wouldn't just stick here and just keep adding this year after year because your soil could be high in one of those elements there that this has in it. And if you keep on adding, you're adding something that it doesn't need. So when you get your soil balanced, that's, um, that would be a better mix for the plants. Next point I'd like to cover is creating a sun map. Um, if you're looking to plant a garden, plants grow best in the sun. They don't grow best in the shade. So you'll want to make sure you're planting in a sunny area. Now, there might be certain times of day you look out and there, your lawn is like, maybe not your lawn, but part of, we turned our lawn into our garden, so you might not be a lawn. But anyway, where, where you're looking to plant, you might see like, oh yeah, that's a nice sunny spot and it looks good at maybe 10 o'clock. Maybe by 12 o'clock it's still okay and then 3 o'clock it's all covered in shade and you only get like 5 hours of sun. So kind of watch it throughout the day. Um, a couple of steps. Yeah, try to record the sun map several times per day. I would recommend go out in the morning. As soon as the sun's coming up, see where it's at. Is it getting sun already or is there, or is there still trees that are covering that spot that you want to plant in? Because if it's, if it's not until like 10.30 or 11 o'clock that you actually have sun there, it, then you know, you're wasting a lot of time where the, the plant could be getting that sunlight that it needs. So if, if you can see a spot on your, on your lawn or wherever you're going to be planting that is getting sun, like right as the sun's coming up, just kind of watch that part throughout the day and take pictures. I would say go out there you know, every hour or two, take a picture in the same, same setting. If you're planting in multiple locations, start making sun maps for multiple locations. If it's 9 o'clock that you're going out taking pictures, take a picture of spot 1, spot 2, spot 3, and then at 10 o'clock, go out and do it again and then kind of analyze, okay, is that a good spot? Uh, a little patchy there, but it might be okay. Also, if you're planting in the, if you're looking at it in the springtime, which most of you, if you're starting out this year, you might be looking at the springtime because you're just getting started. It, you could be planting an area that will be in shade later on in the summertime. So kind of take that into account. It might take a little while to get this um, figured out, but at least if you're tracking it right now, you'll be able to reference these notes later when you, when you are adjusting your sun map. Also, just like when taking a group photo, um, you're going to want to, you know the path of the sun, and plant your taller plants in the back so they're not going to be shading. Like if the sun is going here, and you plant corn right here, and then on this side you plant tomatoes, and then you plant lettuce, all that's going to be shaded. So you're going to want to reverse that group photo and have your lettuce in the front or beets or small lower height crops in the front. Well, they'll be getting all the sun. Then you have your taller ones and your corn and okras in the back there so that they're not shading out your other plants. Because they might all start out kind of small, but then the other ones will just zoom up as they, as they get bigger. Um, I am covering a lot of things, so please, if you have questions, um, write them down and we can try to answer them at the end. To buy or raise your own transplants? Um, that's a good question. When we first started, you saw we bought some 
broccoli from Whole Foods, and they did pretty good. We, we got a good harvest out of those. Um, either way is fine, and I would suggest that this is something that if you don't have a lot of time to raise your own from seed, at least go and buy transplants. They're still going to be good. It's going to give you a head start. It's convenient, and you can get it in the ground earlier. Um, if the, or the advantages of buying transplants, they're already ready to plant in the ground. So if your life is busy, if, if you're a mom with kids at home, and your husband is away, and you know he has a job, he's providing for the family, but you guys want to start a home garden, transplants might be the easiest way to go. You know, they're, they're a quick start. As a family, you guys can get out there in the garden. Um, it takes less of your time, and there's also less maintenance. Um, adv another advantage of buying transplants is it gets your garden off to an early start. Er, because otherwise, if you said today, oh, let's, let's start our garden, and you were doing it from seed, then you'd have to wait for those seeds to grow up and everything. These way you this way you have you know, a good-sized transplant going in the ground. Like You could decide that week you want to start a garden, and you could have a garden planted that week. The disadvantages of buying transplants, they can be more expensive, sometimes three or four dollars per six-pack. Um, that can be 50 to 60 cents per plant. Um, also, with transplants um, that are in stores, they can be neglected, and so there could be yellowing of the leaves. You don't know if they went through a lot of stress, if there's been heat stress, if they haven't been taken care of well, so you don't know their history. Um, and you won't know of what type of pesticides or fertilizers, if any, have been applied and whether they've been properly hardened off, if they're ready for the outdoors. Because a lot of times they're going to be in a greenhouse, but if they've set them outside, then they should be, hopefully be ready by then. Um, so you have no knowledge of the plant's history. So then on the flip side, the advantages of raising your own transplants... Um, why would you want to raise your own transplants? Well, there's some things that you could just can't buy transplants for, like, like beans or carrots um, or corn, for example. Most, they just don't start that way. Corn grows so fast that you just, I mean, I have seen people transplant it before, and I think, I think that's personally a nice idea because then you don't, you're not worrying about crows or whatever coming down and biting your seed out of the ground. But anyway, that's, that's kind of another story. Um, but yeah, you can't find transplants for probably like beets or other things that naturally are root crop, you know, potatoes. Um, so an advantage of raising transplants is seeds cost less. You can buy a packet of 50 seeds for just a dollar or two, and whereas you bought, well, you could maybe even get 100 seeds, you know, it depends on what, what you're getting. But if you got your um, six-pack, it's probably going to be three or four bucks, and you only have six plants. So this is going to be a cheaper if you were to buy your own seeds. You could start um, your own transplants that way. You get more variety. A lot of times you'll be able to get more variety if you get seeds, because then you can choose exactly what you want to grow. Um, other than just picking what's at the nursery. And some, some vegetables don't transplant well, kind of like I was mentioning earlier, carrots, beans, corn, uh, potatoes, um, beets. Some disadvantages of raising transplants. Um, it takes more of your time. You will have to be there. You're, you're taking care of, if you're, getting, if you're buying transplants, Think of it almost like maybe like a toddler or like a four-year-old. 
the plant or the, the child can kind of take care of themselves. They can walk around and do things. But if you're planting from seed, it's like an infant. It's like a baby. It can get stressed out very easily. And, and, and I don't, that's a bad analogy. But anyways, <laughs> um, anyway, it, um, a, a baby seed <laughs> is, you want to take care of it very well. Um, you have to be there a lot with it. Um, a disadvantage is some of the seeds won't sprout. So maybe if you've planted a bunch there and you have 50 in a tray, you know, maybe only 30 of them come up or something, you know. So that's a disadvantage that, oh, I wasted time on those ones. But really, I feel like the advantages of growing your own transplants outweigh the disadvantages of growing your own transplants. It's, that's really just, it, you'll like it, I think. You, you'll definitely like being part of your plant, seeing the history of it grow up. Um, but I will, would encourage you to do something. Um, I know I can be a person who can get stuck in the details and like, oh, which is better? And, oh, maybe I should do this because this is going to be the best. But then I'm like, I don't know if I should do it this way or that way or should I water it with this? I would just say if, if you don't know what to do, just buy the transplants right away. And then next year, maybe you can start your own transplants if you think, oh, I don't have enough time. But I would encourage you at, at some time in your gardening history or your future, I should say, and sometime in your gardening future, start your own transplants. It would be a good experience, I think, in your knowledge about gardening. So start somewhere, and then you can change your methods as you, as you get some more experience. Frost dates. Um, do, do, is there anyone here from Florida? Do you guys get much frost down here? Not the last, not the last couple years. Okay. Our frost dates, like, where we are is in February. But okay. Oh, wow. Okay, that's, that's pretty early. Nice. I mean, that's pretty, like, you don't have any frost. So, yeah. I guess um, if, you're, if you're living in the rest of the United States, there's probably going to be frost that you have to worry about. <laughs> um, you do have to worry about it, like they said here, a little bit in Florida. But I would encourage you to find the frost dates for the, uh, the last frost date for spring in your area. I think up where we're at, it's in April. It, we're in Tennessee. Um, it's April, I want to say it's almost around tax day, April 15 or something. Um, so if you don't have a way to protect your plants outside, I wouldn't plant them until after the last frost is gone. So let's say you buy your transplants, wait until the last frost is gone. Bigger transplants can handle things, but still think of them like a little child. You need to be there to take care of them. They're not going to be as hardy. Um, big tomato plants, I mean, they're probably not going to be, you're probably not going to have big tomato plants when you have frost around, but bigger plants can handle a little bit of frost and be okay, but the younger ones can't. Um, they, they'll be stressed by it and actually it could, could make them fail. I'm just touching a little bit on that one there just so you're thinking about it. Um, choosing your crops. When you are looking for seed or if you're um, buying, buying transplants, there might be hybrids out there. And there might be heirlooms, especially if, if tomatoes. That's usually what I'm thinking of is when you think of heirlooms, the first thing that comes to mind is tomatoes. Not all um, heirlooms are tomatoes, though. There's other heirlooms out there. Um, let's get into hybrids a little bit. When buying seeds, if you see um, an F1 on the packet, that usually means it's the first generation after being hybridized. You're usually crossing two different varieties, well, 
two different varieties of the same family, like two different tomatoes or two different squash plants, and you're crossing them together, and then the product of crossing them together is the seed that you're buying. It's the first generation. And it, all, I mean, think I'm getting ahead of myself here. So the name of it, yeah, that signifies it's the first generation. So hybrids will grow more consistently. A lot of times they'll grow more consistently because they've been hybridized for pest resistance or disease resistance or for size or flavor. Um, but they'll grow more consistently. So if you want, if you're doing like a market garden, for example, a hybrid would be a good to go, good one to go with. Like when I'm buying like zucchini or, or summer squash, get one that says F1 on it. And that's, that's one that you know, like, hey, I know I'm going to get some good looking, consistent looking fruit off of that one. Um, a lot of times hybrids have been hybridized so that they'll always grow the same way. Um, Hybrids are a cross between two different varieties. Oh yeah, I just covered these things. This can be to improve disease or pest resistance. I'll let you, if you guys want to take any pictures of that before I fly by that one. Flavor, size, or uniformity. And then heirlooms, on the other hand, the first thing you usually think of when you think of an heirloom is tomato. I, I, that's what I think of. Maybe <laughs> anyone else think of anything different? <laughs> Usually, I think of an heirloom tomato. Um, and as I understand it, heirlooms are a seed that's been around for over 50 years. So they, it could have come from a hybrid, but then if that hybrid has been around and it's been consistently genera- generation after generation been around for over 50 years, it's, it's my understanding is that they then are an heirloom. Because they could have been crossed way back when, but if they've been staying consistent and are staying true to type, my understanding is that heirlooms are ones that have been around long enough. Whereas hybrids, usually if I said like the F1, those are probably just like last year's crossing of, a, of two seeds. Um, so heirloom varieties are likely to have more flavor because they weren't bred for being easy to transport or for high yields. Um, when, when America got into like mass production of food they were hybridizing things like hey let's let's grow these tomatoes so that we can ship them across the u.s you know so they were making sure that this variety is will ship well or something and a lot of times those ones won't have a very good flavor because they're they're bred for good shipping but they're nice and red but they don't they kind of taste like water sometimes if you've tasted that um Almost always the seed is less expensive than hybrid seeds. I mean, I feel like you're probably not going to be too far different, but they usually are less expensive. Um, they're less uniform and ripen at different times. And this can actually be an advantage um, to ripen at different times. Because let's say if you, if you planted all of your hybrid seeds, they're probably all, all going to ripen up at the same time because they were kind of hybridized probably for a production or a high yield. Um, heirlooms like heirloom tomatoes, they will kind of, this one will get ready and then that one will get ready and they can get ready over time. And that can be good for you in case you, you didn't want like, okay, the whole plant just, just yielded everything. And then you need, all of a sudden you have a lot of tomatoes and you have to eat tomato everything. You know, this can be like, okay, now I can have a tomato sandwich this week. And now this week you can, they can slowly get ready. Um, and yeah, less uniform, you know, you've probably seen um, heirloom tomatoes. They're not always round. They're all kind of all over the place there. 
Heirlooms are open pollinated, which allows you to save your own seed. Um, so if you wanted to, I mean, that brings the cost of the seeds for heirlooms down to practically zero then, because you're saving it, saving it for yourself. Another quote about heirlooms um, from Andrew Kaiser at Baker Creek, seeds saved from heirloom vegetables will produce plants that are true to type, unlike hybrid seeds. If you try to save seeds from hybrids, you usually won't get good results. I haven't tried seed saving either way, but if you were to save, um, you can do it from heirlooms because uh, they're open pollinated. So I'd recommend to get good seed. Um, good quality seed, most of the time you get what you pay for. So if you were to go to a co-op um, and it's, it's cheap, it's just a bulk bin or it's, it's a seed package, you know, they're there um, just on a little spinner or something. Um, sometimes the germination rate can also be lower on those. Um, so I would, I would recommend, here's some locations I recommend for getting good seed. High mowing. Um, I don't have the websites on here, but usually you can just do whatever I'm saying.com. So highmowing.com is there. Um, Johnny's Select Seeds. There's, I believe, is johnnysseeds.com. These can all be done in Google searches. They'll pull right up. Harris Seeds, they're based out in California. Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds, that's the guy we just had a quote from. Um, I think theirs is rareseeds.com. And I think they're based in the Midwest. And also Seed Savers Exchange. That's the, the list of uh, ones I recommend that are good, good places to get good quality seed. Seed Savers um, is kind of like you're not going to probably find all the varieties that you hear of everywhere because th these are going to be a lot more rare varieties, um, but they are going to be probably a lot of heirloom varieties there. <laughs> well, and also Baker Creek heirloom seeds. Those will be definitely heirloom. Um, so moving on to direct seed or to transplant. So I would recommend transplanting everything in your garden that you can. Um, sometimes it's hard to know what is a weed and what is the seed coming up. And if, so if you're weeding out there and you're weeding with a, a stirrup hoe or a collinear hoe or even just trying to pull things out by, by hand, it's hard to know what's yours and what's not yours. Um, and so I would say transplant everything that you can. Um, things you probably can't transplant. I mean, this is kind of edge case uh, beets. I've known people to transplant those. You can start them out and then transplant them out. But generally, just direct seed beets. Um, I would direct seed beans, like green beans. Um, potatoes, definitely. You can't really transplant those ones. Um, corn, directly plant that one. Carrots. Um, Spinach. Spinach, it can go either way. I, I, I've had some, I, I was uh, an apprentice on the Dysinger farm before, and they, they do, um, they have started transplanting corn. They start corn in their greenhouse, and then they plant it out, and then you look at the field out there, and just, it's all uniform. It all comes up just right, because they planted out everything that came up. And that's an advantage of, of transplanting, because you are, you're going to have a consistent row of your vegetables out there. Whereas if you direct seed, you don't know what's going to come up and what's not going to come up. You, you could have planted some a little too deep, 
and then those deep ones maybe take a little longer to come up and everything else came up early or maybe some birds can pick them out. If you are transplanting them, then the birds aren't going to pick out the transplants usually. I have seen some birds eating Swiss chard, um, but they're not going to eat those. So I would, I would recommend if, if you can, transplant anything you can. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, you know, you don't know what's a weed or what's your seed. And so speaking of weeds, I do want to get into um, weeding a little bit. <coughs> See all those little leaves there? I think that's purslane. I don't know if you guys have purslane down here in Florida. I don't know where it really grows. It was new to me. I, I'm originally from the Northwest, and we didn't really have it up there. But I just I took this picture when I was at the Dysinger's farm. This is green beans that's growing up here. And my first year at the Dysinger, I was only there one year, but my year at the Dysinger farm, I remember weeding carrots for the first time. And I thought it was going to be that I only needed to weed once. And I don't want to to be making fun of anybody if, if you've thought that before, but to my astonishment, I, I, was, I was being so careful. I was getting every single weed, and I was, I was down there on my hands and knees getting them because I was like, get it, get it done, you know, and then you're done. I don't have to weed anymore. But the next week I came back, and the whole thing was just like a green carpet again, and I was, <laughs> I was so surprised. Anyways, um, it just kind of caught me off guard that, that the weeds are always going to be there, and you just need to be on top of them. Um, so I have a couple tips for weeding. Don't wait till they're too big. Start when they're small. And I think we can draw a lot of lessons about this in spiritual life too. Um, don't wait until a sin in our life gets too big that it takes over us. Um, start small because if you do try to pull out something that's close to your heart, it, it takes, it's hard and it can uproot some stuff. Um, so don't wait until they're too big, start small. And when your plants are big enough, when they grow big enough, like the, eventually the green beans, they got big enough that they were covering all of the weeds underneath, and it was very low weed pressure because they were the, the shade was was um, uh, not letting the, the the weeds grow underneath. Also, I would say too that if you're if you're about ready to harvest um, your crop, like if you're about ready to harvest your green beans or whatever you're growing out there, and you do have some weeds or some grass that's coming up through them. I would say don't bother with pulling those ones out because you're about ready to harvest and take your plants out. Um, but if, the, if you do have grass that's about ready to go to seed, you probably want to at least clip those tops off so that those don't go seed and then it's, it's for your next crop. Um, yeah, if they're not disturbing your crop, they can probably be left. Watering. Some tips about watering. This slide looks like it's not going to fit there. <laughs> it says, how do I know when to and then water? That didn't fit on the slide, apparently. Um, that is a very good question. And I've heard some people ask, too, like, how often should I water and then fill in the blank? And I would recommend water as often as it needs it. Well, how do you know when it needs it? Um, I would just... Put your finger within an inch or two of the, of the rootstock going down, like if it's tomato or something. Stick your finger in there. If you can stick it in like up just an inch or so there and it's all still dry, your plant probably needs watering. If it's moist in there, it, it probably doesn't need any water. It's probably doing good because a lot of times it's easy just to, oh, I'm just going to put this on a, on a timer 
and then have it go, I'll just have it water on Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then you just water every other day. Well, that could be too much. That could be actually just right if it's hot and sunny to do it every other day. But then if you get like a week of overcast, then it could be too often. You could be watering too much. Um, so I would encourage you, like if you are, as in anything out in the garden, if you're out there to pay more attention and, and look and observe, you're going to learn a lot from your plants and what they need. Um, I think it's easy in our day and age for things just to be automated and to just let it go and to just kind of outsource it saying the timer will do it or, or maybe, you know, I'll buy my transplants, for example. I'll let someone else grow my transplants and then you, you don't know the, really the history. So what I, I guess what I'm encouraging is that you're, you're getting involved with your garden. If you're growing a garden, it is for growing nutrient-dense food, but that getting involved, that caring for something else that's outside of yourself that is also getting yourself closer to God. You're out there praying, God, show me what to do. I don't know when I need to water my plant. Does this plant need watering? You know, is there a pest on this plant? You're out there, you're listening. It's quiet time in the garden. Um, so I would encourage you hand water things. You know, if you have a big garden, yes, it's, it's okay to do drip irrigation or field irrigation, things like that. Um, but if you can get out there and, and walk around, water your plants in the morning, you know, have your hose, um, also, this is something to look out for. Um, this is a picture of a strawberry plant, and I didn't, I didn't learn this um, just by myself. Bob Gregory told this to me. Um, if you see, there's no dew on the surface of the leaf, but if you have water on the tips, right kind of where there's little points on the leaf, like you'll see this also on kale or broccoli plants too the plant has enough water. This is usually in the morning that you're going to see this. And if there's dew, I've seen a lot of times where you can have dew right here, but this is in the morning. These, this is dry and the water, there's enough water in there that the water has been coming through the stems and it, it, it came out each of these tips and beaded there. When, if it looks like that, if any of your plants look like that, they have enough water. I've seen this on tomato plants too. Um, that means that they have enough water. Um, also, if you think your plants need water, don't check them during the heat of the day. Don't check them like at 1 or 2 o'clock. Most plants will look their worst around that time when, they, when it's fully sunny. The reason why they're going to be drooping where they looked good in the morning is the plants actually kind of breathe. They transpire. So they're, they're letting off a little bit of water vapor as well. But they're pulling water vapor, or they're not water vapor, but they're pulling water in through the root system. So the root system, even if you just watered them that morning, they will look wilted in the heat of the sun. The root system pulls in at a certain rate, and then the leaves are transpiring also at a certain rate. In the heat of the day, it's transpiring more, and it kind of wilts because the water is not keeping it kind of stiff and upright. And so it will look a little more wilted in the heat of the sun. So I w check it in the morning or the evening if it needs more water, but at the heat of the day is not a good time to say like, Oh no, my plant's dying, you know, so um, check it in the morning or the evening. And I will say also that gardening, growing a garden is an experiment for the beginner and the expert. Um, do you guys know of John Dysinger or at least have heard him or know him? Bountiful Blessings Farm. Um, 
he's been growing gardens for 21 years, but he's really only had 21 spring times to test things out. He, so if you look at it that way, he's only had 21 chances at spring to try things out. And I, I thought about that like, you know, well, technically he still is 21 years ahead of us, you know. <laughs> um, but if you look at it that way, he's only been able to experiment 21 times in a springtime environment. Um, so he's still experimenting too. I remember being there and during the springtime, I think it was, it was April or May, he was already talking about the next spring. He's like, I'm going to try this next year because there was something that wasn't quite right. This year he was like, oh, okay, I could learn from that. He already learned something and now he's going to apply it for that next year. And I would say, be looking at things you want to change. Um, your first garden is probably not going to be, I mean, I don't want to say you're not, it's not going to be amazing, but it's not going to probably be this, this just huge success. You know, people have been trying it and trying it and trying it, and there is, um, they keep trying because there's always ways to improve. And every year is going to be a little different. There's going to be different weather. There's going to be different uh, pest pressure. Um, so I've, I've seen that too. Like if you say, I'm going to try that again next year, well, next year could be a different weather pattern than the previous year before, and it, <laughs> you, you, all the variables are changing. Um, so I want to encourage you to start off with as much as you feel comfortable. Um, oh, one thing I did want to show earlier, and I just remembered about it right now. And I'll, let me just send this over there to the main screen. I'm glad I remembered about this. So uh, a friend of mine took a video of our garden so this is our current garden now, I mean, last summer. Um, so let's, I'll just play this here for a few seconds and show you. This area is a, is a 20 foot by 40 foot area that we, it was just lawn there and we just turned it in, into, we just moved to the area. But I want you to notice this too, all of this brown area that actually went right into here. There was like a little U-shaped section like that. And if you're able to see it, maybe even on my computer screen, these are all cucumbers right here. Right in the middle, all of the cucumbers were more yellow and short. Look how short they were right there, not even getting very tall. We just, we just threw them in the ground and these ones, we thought maybe it was the variety we planted because we had four different varieties. But all right here, and also we didn't get any weeds growing here. So that's, I mean, like if weeds don't grow, there's nothing good there, you know, it's like, so I w this is why I encourage you to get your soil balanced because plants grow better in balanced soil. This spring we are planning on trying to take, you know, this out down to 12 inches, what Bob recommends in his DVDs and get the soil amended and balanced so that our plants will have the right nutrients in it. But we had to plant, we got there in February and we're like, we just need to put stuff in the ground before we get a soil sample. And well, this is kind of what happened. It was just terrible right here. It's all right there. We haven't been able to grow anything. Um, so you can plant things without a soil sample. This is an example of what happened in our case. I mean, it was still okay over here, but over there, that's just a quick sample. Let me finish playing this for you. So we just put in a front garden here. And then we, what was interesting, the place that we bought had a carport. This is the carport. It was off back in the woods, and so we bought some greenhouse plastic. It had just some canvas over it. We took the canvas off, moved it up here, put greenhouse plastic over it, and we used that kind of like our makeshift high tunnel. Didn't have to spend too much money on it. 
Um, my wife is starting to grow flowers also. So we had our okra back there. This is playing a little slower than normal, but we had okra, we had peppers. They didn't do too well right there. We had tomatoes inside there in cages. Green beans, that was winter squash. This is green beans or what? That's green beans right there. Is it what? Yeah. Yeah. The slow is good. Okay. And then we just put in some corn back there. And they were at the back. The sun is coming at this, this direction from, it comes at the front of the house. And then so we had some, uh, some herbs right there. This was another, like our, our neighbors, they also had a little carport. They said, hey, do you want this? And so we, we do plan on putting something on there. Anyway, I just wanted to kind of show that there. What's and in the, in the area? Um, we were doing compost. We just we we kind of put that up there just to have edges for it to shovel against, but we put the front on mainly so our dog doesn't jump in there and keep eating out of it. But um, I did have also this quote from the Review and Herald: um, "The harvest is proportionate to the energy expended." Um, so as you, um, if you want a bountiful harvest, you'll probably have to put a bountiful amount of energy into it um, to get. To get a really big harvest, you'll have to plant a lot and then be out there a lot. This, this, this isn't taken out of context. This was talking about um, agriculture, not, not about like soil saving. I'm not saying that's bad, but this was talking about agriculture. And questions? Sure, yeah, that's a good question. So looking at the video, did I till my land or was it soil that I got from somewhere else? Um, this, we, we did borrow a tiller for this one. Um, this, I don't know if you're referring to the black plastic. We did have black plastic to keep weed pressure down. I think we did put some manure. I think it was, it was horse manure in our greenhouse back there. But it was only maybe like a wheelbarrow full of it. It wasn't much. We, just, we really haven't brought much of any soil in, into, in to improve it. But we have put some amendments on it, like... Um, phosphorus um, and all the small micro amendments uh, and then we did the nitrogen and potassium and and um, pho yeah phosphorus yeah yes yes that's a good way to start yeah because if you're not gonna if you're not able to um, test your soil yes you can till that vegan mix in there yes mm-hmm yep Totally cool. Yeah, it's totally fine. Yes. Where do we grow? Good question. Um, so what we did is we had a. Um, let's see if it's here. We started them in here in February on a little heat mat, but then later on, it's not in any of the video. We had like a little table, or we we made a makeshift table, and we brought them out and set them on the table and then because it was sunny and so we usually just bring them out. If it was going to get cold, we just brought them inside the house, but we'd put them outside during the day um, just on a table. It was actually just two pieces of wood so that, that, the, that our trays set across. That's what uh, I feel like, okay, I should probably take another question. <laughs> yes. Do you have any problems with bugs and insects? If so, how do you control them? Sure, sure. Yeah, we actually had a lot of problems with aphids. Actually, it's, you can see it in here. In, um, 
we had a lot of problems with aphids in some of these tomato plants here. Um, part of it probably had to do that we didn't have time to get out there. Uh, we just had um, uh, a baby boy in July, and then right, right as everything was getting big, so we just like kind of neglected the garden. But anyway, um, at like Lowe's or Home Depot, you can get an insecticidal soap. It's organic, and um, you can spray it on there. But it's only, it's only if you come in contact with it, with the with the pest, that it will it will affect them. It's not, it won't affect it if they bite it. So you have to kind of spray it when they're there. Um, there's probably more advanced sprays. We didn't. That's all we did this summer. Um, there's other people who could probably answer that question better than that. But that's what I did. Yeah. Insecticidal soap is what it was called. It's that's the title of it. Yeah. Yes. Tomatoes do better if they're not wet. The more wet they are, they can get more fungal diseases. And uh, I, I knew that because I, I was at the Dysingers and they grew tomatoes inside. And then their tomatoes outside just, they didn't do as good. Um, yes. Hybrid doesn't mean GMO. It just means it's a cross between two different ones. Genetically modifying it, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, you're, it's, it's basically like, genetically modifying is, you can, you can make your own hybrid out in your backyard if you grow two, like, heirlooms, and if you were to pollen, get the pollen from this one and put it on that one, and get the, now save the seeds out of that one, now you have a hybrid. It's, it's the cross-pollination of the, of the two, <coughs> two breeds, but they do it, they'd probably do it in closed areas where no other pollen could get in because if you have the wind blowing pollen from a lot of other stuff is going to hit that plant too so it's not just as simple as just going from one plant to the other in your backyard i think they do it in a controlled environment oh i see what you're saying yeah, yeah. sometimes uh, I, I i think i was mentioning that Plants can be hybridized for a pest resistance or for a, like if there's a, if there's a, if there's a plant that's already pretty good at resisting pests, but you're like, it doesn't taste very good. And this one tastes pretty good. You're like, let's cross pollinate those because this one has good pest resistance, but this one has good flavor. That's what it's, that's what it's doing. So you're looking for ones that already, those properties already exist in a plant. It's saving the seeds out of the cross-pollination. So out of that fruit that comes out of that one, what they try to do is they make sure that that plant, this is my understanding of it, that plant can't pollinate itself, but this plant pollinates that one or this plant pollinates that one. So they make sure that all the flowers are off on this, or not all the flowers, they, I think they really keep things, they put paper over them or something to keep it safe so that they pollinate them like that, and then the fruit that comes out of that, they save those seeds, and that's your F1. So, so hybrids are your best seed. They're usually bred for, for some sort of production, yeah, so that they'll do high yields or uniformity, consistency, yeah. 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 Yeah, usually heirlooms are going to have better flavor, um, but that's just a really blanket statement, too. Um, if you look in Johnny's Select Seeds, 
Um, there's a lot of hybrid ones there that the die singers have bought before. Yeah, yeah, yes. Can a GMO seed be raised uh, organically and be labeled as such? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure how to answer that one. Um, You're the one I asked. Have you asked Bob Gregory? I think he could definitely answer that one for you. Bob Gregory, Bob Gregory is, uh, he was an agronomist and he's been doing this for over 50 years. I think he could, he could probably tell you. He'll be, um, he'll be speaking on Friday? Okay. The question was, can a GMO seed be raised organically? I can see... You're saying is it possible or is it allowed? Does the law allow it or is it? Does the law allow it? I don't think so. But can it be raised and sold as such? It probably could be sold like that, and it it, it could be misinformation. But I don't think. But that again is just a guess. So I don't. I, I'm not sure about. Probably not. I don't think it should be. But I don't. I'm not. I'm not the law either. So I'm not. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm just. Doing a home garden? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, regarding the sun, I came in a little late because I couldn't find it. Um, I, I'm in Florida, so we have lots of sun, but I have a, a garden spot that it doesn't get as much morning sun, but plenty of afternoon. Is, it, is morning sun important or is the number of hours? That's a good question. Is morning sun important or is just the number of hours? Um, from what I've heard, is it plants need a certain number of hours of sunlight. So I don't think it necessarily means that it needs that angle in the morning. I think it's just, I'm trying to remember the lower end that I've heard of. I want to say six to eight hours is the lowest that I've heard of like, but most like lettuce needs less. Lettuce can grow well in, the, in a shady environment. Uh, tomatoes like sun. So those are probably closer to a seven and eight hour minimum. But yeah, I think it's just a minimum amount of sun and not necessarily the time of day. Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. How do I keep the deer away from our property? And I, I will have to say that I don't think we had much problem with with deer. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. Rabbits or any other. Yeah, rabbits. They've been actually coming in, and they just. I think it's because nothing had been grown there this year or before, so we didn't have any problems right away, and we didn't. We didn't have much pest pressure either. Um, and it could be because this is a brand new area and the pest is not on their radar yet. But this winter, we, we planted, over here we planted a cover crop of um, there and here we planted clover. And the clover is adding nitrogen to the soil over the winter. All the tops are eaten off. And one time I went out there and it's a rabbit. He just darted right out. And he, I think one time he went out there and one time he went out the front gate and then through the, through the side fence. And he, they fit right through the fence. Poof, he just shot right through it. So I, I haven't done anything actively to do anything with that yet. It's true. Yeah, I think that's been more just of time. We had a baby and haven't done it yet. But yes, yeah, we could have. Yes. You just mentioned tomatoes like sun. Yeah. Yet you have covering on your sun. So how does that work? It's a clear covering, and so it gets enough sun. It, it, it's kind of like... Like these coverings here are diffusing the light, even though we don't see the full bulb in the light bulb there. 
it's it's diffusing the light and it's still letting light through. It is pretty much direct sunlight, but it's it's diffused. But it's not like yeah, the sun didn't physically physically touch the plant. It's still yeah acceptable. Yeah. <coughs> Do we have any other questions over here? Yes, in the back. Seeds grown or, or sold from Walmart or any other store like that. I mean, they, like up in Virginia, we have southern states, so yeah. they may sell, you know, hybrid types of seed. But what about Walmart? Is their quality seed acceptable? And will it, can you, will it be able to produce additional or is it just, just for one season? Right. Yeah, hybrids, you, you normally can't save the seeds from hybrids. Um, you can save seeds from heirlooms because they'll produce a true to type. What's interesting is because you're crossing two, now I'm speaking on this almost like I'm, I've done it before, but this is just what I've learned, is that when you're crossing two and then you're getting that seed from the, from the fruit of the, of the cross-pollinated plant, cross that one won't produce, because it's just the first one, I think you have to have seven generations of it. Bob teaches a class about this too. He did it three years ago at, also at, at um, Camp Clockway here. You have to have seven generations before, and then the seventh generation will, be, will c produce consistent fruit. But you don't know each generation in between which direction it's going to go because it's still kind of, I guess, I don't know if it's just learning its identity or something, but you won't get true to type. You won't get the same thing out of it. Um, until you have seven generations. And about Walmart, I haven't purchased seed from Walmart. I'm not sure what the quality is. I would recommend it's easy enough to get online. I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't go to Walmart. If you can go to Walmart, do that. Whatever you guys do, I, I recommend that you, you start a garden this, this year and, and, and get, get started with it and, and don't wait anymore because we only have one spring this year and then you have to wait till next year. Anyways, yes. Your greenhouse was made out of the cardboard? Yes. Um, did you have a top over it? Um, other than the plastic? Right before this, you this it into a greenhouse. Sure, that carport, it was, it was a neglected carport that was kind of out in the woods right back there. Uh, it did have a, um, like a woven cover to it that was all tattered and torn because a branch <laughs> kind of fell through it and whatever. So we pulled all that off and we cut off the tattered parts and we used that as like a, um, a ground cover and we covered the areas that we wanted to grow so that it could kill the weeds. So immediately when we got there, we saw that we're like, hey, we could use that as a greenhouse. So we cut off everything and we laid it down so it could be, the, when the sun hits it, it's killing the weeds underneath of it so that the soil would be easier to work. Um, but it did have a, uh, a covering on it before, yes. So if you do have one that have a covering on it, do you take the cover off or just leave it on there? Would a carport? Yeah. I would take the cover off so that the sun can get through, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. You want to remove everything so it's a frame kind of like this yeah. and then wrap the plastic around it. Now, we, we, put, we, we screwed wood to the inside of this here and then we pulled the plastic tight and stapled it right there along the edges. And then we also put wood beams along the bottom there and kind of leveled it in the ground. But then each of these poles has like a, a tube strap tying it to the base. So we had to modify it a little bit. We had to get the wood there on, along the sides and the wood also on the sides here and staples and greenhouse plastic. Well, that's what we're going to have to do for this one too. And then so just pull it. What type of plastic did you 
get just regular greenhouse plastic? I, I work for um, uh, a company that has greenhouse plastic. It's, have you heard of Farmer's Friend? It's Jonathan Dysinger. It's his company. It's the John Dysinger's son. Anyway, Farmer's Friend, it's up in Tennessee, and I work for them. And so, I mean, it, but the thing is, you can order it online also. So, farmersfriendllc.com, and you can order a roll of greenhouse plastic. I think it comes in 80 foot and 130 foot. I was able to, they had a big, big spool back then. It, it's, I don't think they have it anymore, but they had a big spool that I could just order it by the foot. And so, I, I got 40 feet of it, and um, that was 20 feet, but I wanted just a little bit of extra. We did put end walls on it for the winter time because we put a winter garden in here, so we put plastic across the end here and stapled it and then cut some openings to go in there. But yeah. That is in Tennessee. You're in Tennessee, right? Yes. Because it's rocky. What part of Tennessee? Because we're in Tennessee. Um, in Hohenwald. It's southwest oh, of Nashville, um, near Columbia. Yeah. So did you have a lot of rocks? Oh, yeah. And what did you do? We just were like, we got, this is what we have. We have to put stuff in the ground. So we just started. Yeah, we haven't, we hardly did anything um, to it. And it's, it, was, it was clay. We really want to be building it up. Yeah. So we, it's, it's a heavy clay soil. Mm -hmm. And so we read online. Um, have you heard of Connor Crickmore? He's a farmer up in New York. Mm -hmm. And he bought a place that had really sandy soil. Mm -hmm. So he had to add clay. Uh, we, he suggested that we add now, he didn't talk to us directly, but he had a, a, a gardening presentation that said if you're working with really high clay, clay content in your soil, add, I think he said, a five-gallon bucket. I have notes somewhere. Add a five-gallon bucket of sand per 50-foot row for like a 30-inch bed. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're going to do this, this spring is we're going to start adding sand to our soil because it is just so hard. It gets so hard and compact. So we're going to add sand so it's a little looser. And um, we're going to try it out. What? There is a lot of rocks, actually. We have a little pile here that we were collecting there. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of, actually, a lot of little rocks. It's kind of hard to see here, but there's rocks scattered all about. It's maybe not as rocky as other places. Um, okay, cool. Did you have another question? I thought I saw your hand raised. Or? Yes. Yeah. E either one. Either one. Yeah. Um, why is that best? It, it could be partly for water conservation, but I if, you're doing, if you're doing drip, it might be okay during the middle of the day, but I, I know Bob definitely recommends morning or evening. And um, yeah. I'm not sure exactly the reasons why, but I feel like, yeah, morning and evening is the best time to do watering. Is it because the water burns the plant if you do it if it's too hot? That, that's true. That's true. That's a very good point. If your garden hose is sitting out in the sun, let all the hot water out before you touch your plant because it, it not that it has nerves, but if you take a, a piece of your of lettuce off and put it into um, hot water, you know, it's going to wilt. It's the same deal. If you're spraying it with hot water, it's going to affect it negatively. So I would just, you know, spray it off into the lawn or to wherever, you know, get make sure it's cool, cool and then water it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.